Good morning. How are you guys doing? How many of you were here on January 10th when we started our church with that video? How many? Raise your hands high. Hi, there are a few. Um, we tried to get Morgan Freeman to come and do the voiceover, but he was unavailable. And they said, Jesse, you're the next best thing. We need, we need you. And I said, yes, I will, I will rise to the call. Uh, the reason I played that video is I just wanted to start today before we got into our text. And I just wanted to, I wanted to not cry while I talk to you in this moment. Um, I wanted to kind of tell you what I, what I think about you. Um, I want to tell you what I think about you. It, it's, it's all good things. I promise this isn't like a Jerry Maguire, like, screw off, who's coming with me? Like, this is a, this is a good moment. Um, in this video, you know, uh, the words I said were just that this church, that Fathom Church had been in the minds of a few for, for, for a few years. You know, me and Kyle had dreamed about planning a church together and what would it look like. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of people came along with us that said, man, we have a vision, we have a dream of what, what, a, what a church in Jacksonville that was um, centered on the name of Jesus Christ and inviting those on the outside in. We had this dream. But we also realized that, that our dream and, and our hope for, for this church um, was really, we had been dreaming of it really for a small amount of time compared to what God had been dreaming about it. And so we realized that, that this church and that this place God had predestined to be here, that he had foreseen it, that he knew that this place would be here on old St. Augustine Road and that you would gather here and that you would come here and that people would come in contact with his son Jesus and so we were really humbled by that when we realized that as God, before time began, was writing names in the Lamb's Book of Life, that he thought of Fathom Church and he invited us into the story before we even existed. And so that just totally humbled us, totally humbled us. And one of the things I just wanted to tell you as, as my last Sunday here, um, officially at least, preaching to you, I want you to know how much I believe in you how much I believe in this community and what God is going to do through you and how he's going to touch Jacksonville. When I first, um, Kyle and Taryn pulled me onto this property, um, you know, when we were coming in, I'm somebody who just loves spaces. You know, I really, I, I'm jived by spaces. Like if I walk into like a room that has good lighting and that um, feels good, like my soul just comes alive and I feel great. And so, um, when we were talking about planning this church, you know, I just had all these dreams of like the kind of space we would be in. I was thinking of like this great like industrial space with just like really high ceilings and all this different stuff. And so when Kyle and Taryn drove me onto this property and they had told me about it um, and said, this is where we're going to have our church. And when I walked in the doors, I was like, oh, oh, this is where we're going to do it, huh? And I was, I, was a little, I was a little unsure, you know, I think we were all a little unsure, but there was one thing I did when I walked in. Uh, I just took my shoes off. And I walked into a, a room that smelt bad. It kind of smelt weird, and after I got over the fact that maybe I would get some sort of foot fungus from walking around, I, I took my shoes off, and I just did it, you know, they probably didn't even notice, because I just, I had this sense that, that this was a really sacred space, that this was a really holy place because I knew that people would come in contact with Jesus here. I just, I just knew it. I just said, God, I don't, I don't see a lot in this space. I don't see a lot of 
It's not, not a beautiful space, and we worked really hard to, to make it what it is today. But when I, when I walked in, I said, I don't see a lot, but I know that you're doing something here. I just felt it. So I took off my shoes, and I said, this is holy ground, because people are going to meet you here. And, uh, and so there's been often times when I just look around and I see you people, people that encourage my heart. Um, when I see you and I just said, man, we came and, and we didn't know if anyone was going to show up, but you guys did show up. And um, even more importantly, Jesus showed up. How many of you um, have experienced Jesus in this room? Gosh, I know I have. And um, so I wanted, before I got into the text, just to tell you how much I believe in you and how much I believe that you guys are literally going to rock this city and that this is only the beginning. And gosh, I feel like I'm leaving way too soon. I was sitting over here and I began to kind of panic. I thought, what am I doing? Why am I leaving this? I love this place. Um, but just trying to be faithful. And, and a note to the people who serve here, uh, the people who come day in and day out and are so faithful. Um, I, I heard a preacher a few months back say, the older I get, the sexier faithfulness is to me. And I just thought, man, I totally get that. I totally get that. And so for you guys that come in day in and day out and you are so faithful, thank you. You literally have no idea what an encouragement you are. Church planning is hard. Church planning is so hard. And, and I know you as leaders in this church and as members of this church, you feel that. Sometimes it, it's hard. It's tough. But don't give up. Keep going. Keep being faithful because you have no idea the impact that you are having. Not only in the people in this room, but the people in this city. You guys are changing atmospheres and you guys are changing people's lives. And you have encouraged me over and over and over again. I wish I could had time to just go through and point at different people that I have seen grown. And I have seen people take their place in, in, in anointing and different things like that. And um, I just love you guys so much. And... Um, Someone's alarm is going off, so someone's probably getting robbed right now. I, I apologize. Um, but, um, yeah, before we jump in the text, I just wanted to let you know how much I believe in you. Um, that'll be my, my last teary moment, hopefully. Um, but I do. I believe in you guys, and I believe in Fathom Church. And um, I thank Kyle and Taryn for uh, inviting me in on this journey. Um, it has been uh, one of the most amazing adventures of my life. And um, I don't feel that I am leaving Fathom Church. I feel that I am being sent out. And so um, I covet your prayers and your thoughts. And for anybody that has fed me or has invited me into their home and has taken care of me, um, you took a boy who felt very far away from home and you made me feel at home. And um, I thank you more than you know. So um, let's pray before I just weep and weep into the microphone and make the podcast weird. So, all right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this house. We thank you for the people that are gathered in this room. Uh, we are not here by mistake. We are amazed that you predestined us and that you destined us to be here in this house today and that you have a word for us and that you have a work that you want to do in us. So, Father, we just ask that you would open up our hearts and you would open up our minds and you would open up our eyes so that we could see your son very clearly in your scripture. And that today, Father, if there's anything that we're holding on to, that we would be brave enough and you would give us the courage to let go. You would give us the courage to release. 
And so today may be hard for some people because I'm going to ask some hard things. I believe you're going to ask some hard things of us. So, Father, we just ask that you would be present in this house and that we would see you and we would know you and that your name would be made great. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. All right, we are going to be in John 5. So if anybody has their scriptures or their iPhones or their iPads, please go to John 5. And we're starting in verse 1. It's going to be on the screen for us in the background. Um, we've been in a series called Release, and um, I just really, I really love Love this series so far. It just kind of came out of nowhere. Kyle said, hey, I'm going in a different direction. And I just think it is so, so great. And I love the logo with the hand. I'm just, I'm into it. Um, So John 5, verse 1. All right, so we see Jesus here. And he's, he's coming into Jerusalem. And he's, he's coming in for one of the Jewish festivals. And, 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 and as he comes in, he, he, he does what Jesus does all the time and what Jesus does best. Anytime he, he enters into a city, he usually zeroes in on a place where there are people who need him the most. People who are considered outcasts or people who are sick. People that when you visited a town, they would not be the first people you would want to go see. People that really don't have much to offer. But Jesus, over and over again in Scripture, he is consistently choosing to go and be with those people. And so there's this place in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, and it's a pool called the Pool of Bethesda, or Bethsaida. And and it's it's surrounded by five covered colonies. And, and, And here around this pool, there's a great number of disabled people. A great number of of sick people have gathered around this pool, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And so so Jesus, as he heads into Jerusalem, he goes straight to this pool. He walks into this place that is filled with sick people, filled with people who are desperate to be healed. And there's something special about this pool. There's something that happens in this pool that when when sick people enter it, they, they get healed. We, we don't exactly know how it works or exactly what's happening, but there's something very special about this pool. And, and, and maybe in your scripture, um, if you're reading out of the NIV or the ESV or, or any of the newer translations, you'll notice that there's not a verse 4. And so don't worry, there's not like a misprint in, in your Bible, like they didn't mess up. There's, there's a verse 4 that really, um, it, it's included in the old King James Version and some other translations, but the newer translations leave it out. Because um, scholars have kind of like, they've studied all this old manuscripts and all the old scripture. And they've, they've seen that that verse 4 really was probably added in later. That it, that it really wasn't part of the oldest and, and the most accurate manuscripts. So what scholars have done is they've kind of removed verse 4. So in a lot of your Bibles, there'll probably be like a, a side note or you can see it at the bottom. But, but what verse 4 tells us is that an angel comes down in certain seasons and he stirs the pool. He troubles the water of the pool, and and the first person that can get into the pool after the angel troubles the water will be healed. And so there's something special about this pool, and and so all these people have gathered around. And so Jesus walks into this place, and, and, and he focuses in on one man out of a great multitude of people that desperately need Jesus's touch. Jesus comes in and he focuses on one man and he learns that this man has been an invalid. He's been paralyzed for 38 years. 38 years this guy has been sitting by this pool desperate to be healed. And so we don't know if he was an invalid from birth or if it happened later in life, we don't know how old this man is, but we know that for a huge majority of his life, he has been stuck on the ground. 
He has been stuck lying on a mat, desperately trying to get into the pool. And so Jesus walks into this place where there's a multitude of people who desperately need him. I can only imagine the scene of there's this pool and there's just hundreds or maybe thousands of people just gathered. Really all trying to get into this pool when the waters begin to stir. And so Jesus comes in and he sees this man. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he had compassion on him. And he walked up to the man and he asked this huge question. This really profound question that I believe he's asking us today. And the question that he asks is, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made well? And and that seems like a really stupid question, Jesus. This guy's been laying here 38 years, and he's he's at this pool where, where every once in a while somebody gets healed. Every once in a while something amazing happens, and someone who's desperately sick gets in this water and he's healed. And so there's this guy, so obviously he's at the pool. He's trying to get to the pool, so he must want to get healed, right? But Jesus asks this question anyway, and he goes to the man, he says, do you want to be made well? And here's what the invalid said. He says, sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And this this answer, it's kind of interesting because he doesn't really answer Jesus' question. First off, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He just, this is a guy who just walks up and says, do you want to be made well? And I would be kind of annoyed. I would be kind of, I'd be like, what? Like, duh, of course I want to get made well. What do you think I just come and sit here by this pool every day to, I don't know, just take a bath? No, I'm here because I want to get healed. But he, but he doesn't really say that. He just kind of begins to tell Jesus, this stranger to him, about his predicament. It's, 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 it's almost an excuse, if you will, but we can't really blame the man because, I mean, he's been there for 38 years and he's just desperately trying to get into the water, but oh, someone is always a little bit faster. Someone is always a little bit faster and beats him to the pool. And so here Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? And he makes this excuse, says, I have no one to help me. Someone always beats me. But then Jesus kind of just ignored him and just does this amazing thing. And he says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. So it's this really weird interaction where Jesus says, hey man, out of all these people, do you want to get well? And he says, he doesn't answer Jesus. He just says, I can't get in the pool. I'm not fast enough. And Jesus says, okay, whatever, get up and take up your mat and be healed. And so then this amazing thing happens that once the man was cured and he picks up his mat and he walks. And it's so funny, we we read scripture like this all the time where Jesus comes in and he's radically healing people. He's doing something really radical, really wild. But we sometimes, if you've grown up in the church and and you've, you've read a lot of Bible and you've seen Bible movies and stuff like that, we are so used to this kind of thing, that our hearts are barely even stirred. We're like, oh, cool, that that, that guy walked. But this guy has been on the ground for 38 years. 38 years. And and, and in the first century, being someone who's disabled, like, it's, it's, it's not like today. Like, you were cast out. You were on your own. You had to beg for food. You had to rely on other people's mercy. Like, there was no invalid that had a job. There was no invalid that could provide food for themselves or take care of themselves. They were literally at the mercy of others. 
constantly begging, please, please just give me some money, give me some food, I can't move, I can't do this. And so this guy was desperate. For 38 years he was absolutely desperate, not even sure if he was going to be able to eat. Not sure if he was going to survive the night. I can't imagine living outside in the first century could not have been an easy thing. And so Jesus comes in, sees this guy out of a huge multitude, zeroes in on him and says, do you want to be made well? Okay, then get up and walk. And the story continues. It's a, it gets kind of interesting. And, and the day that this happened was the Sabbath. This, this was the Sabbath. A few months ago, we, we, we went on a, uh, a series called The Rest of Your Life. We talked about Sabbath and we talked about rest and how God had imp- implemented this plan so that people and so that we could take time and we could rest. We could quiet down our hearts and we could quiet down our minds and we could just rest and, and we could be rejuvenated and be made whole. But what had happened in, 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 in the Jewish culture is they, they had turned this gift from God of rest they, they had turned it into more work. They had turned it into um, a, a, a really a, a burden, if you will. They, they had take Sabbath, this great gift that God said, I'm going to give you time to rest. You need to rest. This is, this is huge for you. This is huge for your life. And, the, and so that you will have life and that you will have abundant life is that you will take time and you will slow down and you will rest. But the Jewish leadership, they had, they had taken this gift and they had, they had, they had perverted it, really. And they, they had made it a law that, that, that was a burden for people. And, and it was a burden on people that they used to persecute their own people. And so we'll see that here. And the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, the invalid, it is the Sabbath. Hey, guy, walk in with your mat. This is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. What are you doing? You're clearly breaking the law. Like they have no interest that this guy had just been physically stuck on the ground for 38 years. They're not even concerned. They're so messed up with their own vision of the law that they can't even see the miracle that was right in front of them. And if we're not careful... Uh, This is just a side note for you. If we're not careful, we will be just like them, that we will hold on to our doctrines. We will hold on to our traditions so tightly that we will be blinded to the work that God is doing in the earth. Those things can distract you. Good things, good God-given theologies and doctrines and, and traditions sometimes can take a hold of us, and they will distract us from what God is doing. It will keep us from entering into relationship with the people group because we think, no, we can't because laws say this or, 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 or doctrine says this, and then we begin to push people out. and We keep people out that really God is desperate to, to bring in. And so the man says this, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Said so it's the, the guy healed me and told me to walk with my mat. So I'm going to do what the guy who healed me said. And and so they asked him, "Who is this fellow who told you to pick up the pick up pick it up and walk? Who is this? Who was he?" And this is the interesting thing: the the man who was healed had no idea who Jesus was. He had no idea who had just healed him or who he was talking to because Jesus had slipped away in the crowd um, as soon as the guy was healed, but. But later, Jesus found him at the temple. And I, don't, I don't know if the guy was there worshiping or what. I don't know if that was his first response. Is I, I have to go worship. Because I was once stuck on the ground, and, and, and now somehow I'm walking. And so I'm going to go praise God. I just, I just assume that's what the man is doing in the temple. Or maybe he hadn't been in the temple in a really long time because he just physically couldn't get there. 
The first thing he wanted to do was go to the house of God. I love that. And so Jesus found him at the temple and he said, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. It's a really interesting statement. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So he goes back and he says, that guy who healed me, his name was Jesus. And so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. They began to persecute him. It's, it's, it's that thing where the, where the law has kind of gotten in the way, where they're, where they're missing the point. They're just missing this huge point that this guy couldn't walk, and now he's walking. And it was Jesus who did it. And so the first thing the leaders do is they go to Jesus and begin to persecute him. Because they're totally being challenged. Their way of life, their way of law, everything that they're holding on to. Talk about needing to release. They were holding on to so tightly their laws and their traditions. Because they had power. And they weren't ready to lose that. And so they begin to persecute Jesus. But in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. My father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. And for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. And so I love this. Jesus says, my father, God, he is working. He is always working in the earth. And I will do what I see my father doing. And I will work in the earth too. And I I love that because so oftentimes in ministry and in our Christian life, we just, we kind of feel so alone, you know. There's, there's these times where we just feel like we're, we're struggling so hard, especially in, in a church plant. Especially in, in a small church in the beginning, you always feel like you're striving so hard. But the thing we have to remember is that God is always working. And that he's going out ahead of us. And that he is for us and he is not against us. But that is just an encouragement for us today that God is always at work. Even with those people you work with that you just wish would not come back to work. Or those people that you come in contact with that just stress you out or get on your nerve. God is working in them. And those people that you know that the last thing you think they would do is walk into the doors of the church. God is working in them. He is doing something and he is using you. So do not be discouraged because God is working. He goes ahead of you. He goes ahead of you. And, and for this reason, they tried to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but Jesus was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Making himself equal with God. Jesus here, he's, he's calling God his father, and he's making a declaration about himself. And he says, I'm not just, I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just a man. But I am the son of God who has come to take care of this broken world and invite invite all of those broken people and invite you, Jewish leaders, religious leaders, who are missing the point. I'm inviting you into my love. And I'm here and I am the son of God. This is who I am. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's easy for us to call God Father. You know, it's, we, when we started this church, we actually started with a series on the Lord's Prayer. And we, we talked about how, how, how fantastic it is that we get to approach God as Father. And how that we can enter into his courts. We can enter into his presence as kids. Kids who aren't afraid. And I use the, um, I think it was a really good analogy, of, of the president. 
Nobody can just enter into the office, to, to the Oval Office of President Obama. You can't just walk into the office. You would probably get shot by a Secret Service agent. So you can't do that. Even the greatest leaders and kings of the world, they cannot just walk in to the president's office. There's, there's a huge, um, you have to go through a process, I imagine, to get into the office of the president. But there are Three people, I imagine, that have absolute access to the president. And two of them are Sasha and Malia, his girls. When they walk into the Oval Office, they don't see the president of the United States. They just see their dad. And they're, they're, not, they're not scared to walk up to their dad. When, when some of the most greatest kings in the world walk into that office, they're intimidated by the man sitting behind the desk. But when those two girls walk into the office, they just see dad. They don't see the most powerful man in the world. They just see their pop, the, the person that they love the most. And so that's how we get to be when we approach God. We get to approach God as our father and we're his kids and there's no reason for us to be afraid of him. And so when Jesus comes in and says, God is my father, that's revolutionary language. That is absolutely revolutionary language. And, and, and maybe it's an easy thing for Jesus to say it. Well, yeah, Jesus gets to say that. But when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, approach God as your father. Because you are his sons and you are his daughters. You are his sons and you are his daughters. And so, so I love this story. That, that last part about the authority of the son, that was just kind of a, a tag on to this sermon. And just, um, of course, I was not going to preach my last sermon without reminding you guys of who you are, sons and daughters. Um, and so I was, I was pretty sick this week. I was uh, coughing up all sorts of gross stuff, and uh, Grant wrote me a prescription and saved my life, uh, literally, I think, and so um, I was, I was kind of stressed out. I've been packing, and I've just been sick, and all I want to do is nap all day, and I, like, I would lay down on the stage and take a nap if it was appropriate, um, and so I was a little stressed out about this sermon. I thought, man, this is my last sermon as of my official last sermon at Fathom. Um, it's got to be really good. It's got to be great. And so um, I would gotten this text from Kyle and, and in the series, and I, I was kind of stressed out. And I was just like, God, what do you, you want to say? What do you, you want to do today? And, and I, was, I, couldn't, I, don't know, I couldn't land on, on, on anything. And I was feeling a little stressed about it. And I just kind of felt the Father speak to me. He said, just keep it simple. Just keep it really simple. And so, so I want to today with the application. And, and I believe that the question that God is asking us today is, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? And it's, it's a seemingly simple question that, of course, we're like, yeah, I want to be made well. And, and, and I'm talking more about just physical infirmities, although there may be some sickness in the house that God is asking you, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be physically healed? Because my power can do that. But I believe that God is asking us more than that. It's more about physical infirmities. I believe that there are things in our life that, that we are holding on to really, really tightly that God is asking us, do you want to let those things go? Do you want to be made well? And, and, I, and I want to take a moment, and I want you guys to take a moment and think about the things you've been holding on to really tightly really, really tightly, that God has been asking you to give up, but, but you've just been holding on even tighter. And I want you to take a moment and, and think about that. And I, and I don't know what that is for you. I don't know exactly what that is, but, but what is God asking you to get up and walk away from? 
What is it? Is it, is it sicknesses? Is it, is, it, is it fears? Is it doubts? Is it worries? Is it, is it relationships? Is it, is it forgiveness that you haven't given to somebody? Is it hatred? Is it, what is it? What are those things that you're holding on to so tightly? And God is saying, I want you to get up and I want you to walk away from that. And he's asking you, do you want to be made well? And of course our answer is yes. We're like, Jesus, I give you everything. You can have all of me. Except that. Not that thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to let go of that. You know, I'm not, I'm not quite ready to walk away from that. Sometimes God stands ready to heal us, but for one reason or another, we just aren't quite ready. We aren't quite ready to be healed. We aren't quite ready to be made well. And we hold on so tightly to something that hurts us because it's become comfortable to us. And, and so we don't think that we really deserve better. We don't really think that we deserve to be made whole. We don't think that we deserve to be healed. And we just kind of accept it that this is the way it is. This is my lot in life. This is my burden that I must carry. But Jesus comes in and he says something very different. He says, today you can be made well. Do you want to be made well? So when Jesus asks us, do you want to be made well? Oftentimes we just hold on to our junk even tighter and tighter. And it, and it just kind of, we become so used to it and we really just think it's a reality. I was reminded of um, hearing about elephants when they're, when they're being trained for, for circuses and stuff. I don't really like circuses. I think they're mean to the animals, but that's besides the point. Um, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty if you like circuses. And who likes clowns? Good Lord. Scary as junk. Um, <laughs> hate clowns. Um, I did not mean to talk about clowns. Um, but, but, it, but it reminded me of elephants when, when they're being trained. They, they, their huge leg, they, they, they put a shackle around their leg. And then they tie them up to a post. And they're just stuck. They can only go so far. It doesn't matter which direction they go. They can only get so far. And eventually they become so used to the shackle that, that the zookeepers can take off the shackle. They can take off the shackle. And they're so used to being tied up that they're actually free, but they don't even know it. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that's so true for us, that, that Jesus has come in and he's invaded your life. And you've accepted him as Lord and Savior. And he has freed you, but you're so used to your junk. You're so used to your shackle, to your burden, whatever it may be. You guys can figure that out for yourselves that you think you're still shackled. But Jesus has actually freed you and he's asking you to get up and to walk. You see, the man by the pool, he had, he had a choice. Jesus said, get up and walk. And he had a choice. He could have just laid there and say, no, 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 sir. I'm, 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 I can't walk. I'm paralyzed. Like, I can't. I can't do that. Like, that's a ridiculous thing to tell me to do. Get out of here, man. He had a choice to say that. He could have continued to sit there even though he was healed. But he believed and he was going to take a chance. There's this story that I really love. Um, I actually had the opportunity to uh, study in Cambridge, England for, for a semester. And um, one of the cool things we got to do was um, we, we, we got to visit C.S. Lewis's home. We got to spend some time there. And um, we actually got to um, hang out with his niece. 
C.S. Lewis's niece, and um, we were taken around the home and these different places. And it actually sounds a lot cooler than it really is because his niece was a little batty, if you will. And um, she was actually, she was crazy. And, and, our, and our professor that was like touring, a Cambridge professor was touring us around. Like he was just like apologizing for C.S. Lewis's niece. And it was actually a, a weird situation. Um, but I got to go into his house and I got to sit at his desk. And I, I got to sit in this chair where he, where he had his pipe. And um, where, where he wrote some of the, the greatest literature of our time, in, in, in my opinion. And, and, and one of those books that he wrote while he was in Cambridge was called The, uh, the, the Great Divorce. And so I want to read um, a, a story out of The Great Divorce. Um, I, had, I had thought about um, just kind of paraphrasing it for you guys because it's kind of long. But um, honestly, I just cannot do justice to, to C.S. Lewis's writing. And so um, it, it's, it's a little long, but if you'll just, um, if you'll track with me, I, I think you're going to like it. Um, it's this, the story of the great divorce, and, and just real fast, what it is, it's, it's a story about people who are in hell. It's a book about heaven and hell. Uh, C.S. Lewis was kind of before his time, and, and it's about these people who are journeying as, as these ghosts, that is these really like half-humans that have kind of chosen this existence in hell. And it's, this, it's a story about these people journeying to heaven, about God calling people out of hell into his presence. And so there's this man who, who you follow throughout the story, and, 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 and he comes in contact with this ghost. This guy who's, who's, who's been in hell and he's, he's kind of journeying and he's, he's this ghostly figure. And I'm just going to read it for us. And I think it has huge implications for us. So I hope you enjoy this. I saw coming towards us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. Like all the ghosts, he was, un, he was, he was unsustainable, but, but, but they differed from one another as smoke differs. Some had been whitish and this one was dark and oily. And something sat on his shoulders, and it was a little red lizard. And it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. And as we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. And he said, shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward, away from the mountains. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man, and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body too, for there was heat coming from him as, he, as, as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a, of a summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, here he indicated the lizard, that, that, that he'd have to be quiet if he came along, which he, which he insisted on doing, of course. But, if, but of course, his stuff won't do here. Now I see that. But he, he just won't stop. So I guess I'll just have to go home. And, he, and he's saying, back to hell. I'll have to go back to hell. And, he's, and, and so the man, the, the, the shining man said, would you like me to make him quiet? Would you like me to silence him? Said the flaming spirit of an angel, as I now understood. So it's an angel. And the ghost said, of course I would. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Ah, oh, oh, look out, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed, said the angel? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I mean, I hardly meant to bother you and, and, and with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? 
Well, that's a further question. I'm, I'm, I'm quite open to considering it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it's just so damned embarrassing. May I kill it, said the angel. Well, there's time to discuss that later, said the ghost. There is no time. May I kill it. Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep on its own accord. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's all right now. Thanks ever so much, though. May I kill it, said the angel. Honestly, I, I don't think there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I, I shall be able to keep it in order now. I mean, I, I think the gradual process of getting rid of it would be much uh, would be far better than killing it. The angel said, the gradual process is of no use at all. Do you think so? Well, I'll, I'll think it over, and I'll think over what you said very carefully, and honestly, I will. And, and, and In fact, I would let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm not really feeling frightfully well today. It would, it, would, it would be silly to do it now. I mean, it, I mean, it needs to be in good health for the operation. Maybe some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now, said the angel. Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why are you hurting me now? I never said it when it hurt. I said it when it kill you, said the angel. Oh, I know, you, you, you think I'm a coward, but it isn't that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back by tonight's bus and get an opinion from my own doctor. Back in hell, I can get an opinion from my doctor, and, and I'll come again the first moment I can. This moment contains all moments, said the angel. Why are you torturing me? You are jeering at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me before I knew? It would be all over by now if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission, said the angel. The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, the lizard said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you will be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It, 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 it may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but, but aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good, I promise. I admit I've, I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I will give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. Almost innocent. You might say quite innocent. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me, said the ghost. It won't, but supposing it did... You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature than I may, said the angel. Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, Bell of the ghost. But ended whimpering, God help me, God help me. The next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I had never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile. He twisted it while it bit and writhed and then flung it broken-backed on the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. And the story goes on to say that, that, that the ghost then becomes this, this strong, shining man. 
where, where he's no longer a ghost of, of what he used to be, but he becomes this, this new creature. And then, then the, 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 the creature on the ground, the, 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 the lizard is writhing, and something begins to happen, and, and he begins to change, and, and slowly he turns into this huge, beautiful stallion. And, and this man that, that used to be a ghost is, is now a real man. And, and he gets on the back of the horse, and, it, and, it, and they begin to ride off towards heaven, towards God's presence. And so I love this story so much because I feel like what the angel is saying and also what Jesus is saying in our text are really the same thing. There's these things in our lives that we are holding on to so desperately, whether they be addictions or fears or just sins that you do over and over again or worries or sickness, all these things. And Jesus today, he's saying, may I kill it. May I save you? May I heal you? Are you ready to be made well? But just like the man, we're scared. We've, we've gotten so used to it, and we begin to, we begin to come up with all these different excuses. And we say, oh, it's, it's not really that big of a deal. I can control it. Maybe I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll slowly phase it out. I'll slowly stop doing that thing that I know that doesn't please you. I'll just phase it out. I can't stop cold turkey. That's too hard. It'll kill me. We say, no, not, not today. Maybe, maybe next week. Maybe, maybe in the next series. Maybe at the end of the service, I'll feel more like it. Um, I'm not feeling well today, God, so I'm not, I'm not really ready for that. And we begin to make excuses over and over and over again. But I, I believe Jesus is asking us today, may I kill it? May I kill that thing that is stopping you from, from coming closer to me? Because we're, we're kind of just like that elephant. God's calling us to come closer, but we're like, no, no, I've got this, I've got this thing here. And um, as, as soon as I take care of this, then I'll come closer and I'll, and I'll come and know you better. And we, we fool ourselves into thinking that, that if we just try hard enough, we'll take care of it on our own. If I can just figure it out on my own, if I can just get cleaned up on my own, then I can come to you, Jesus. But the truth is, if you wait till you have all of your stuff together and you try to slowly phase out whatever your garbage is, you're never really going to come to Jesus. But Jesus is here in this place and he's saying, do you want to be made well? Not tomorrow, not next year, but today. Do you want to be made well? If so, let me kill it. Let me kill that disease. Let me kill that sickness. Let me kill that worry. Let me kill that thing that is keeping you from my presence. Because I am ready and I am able to do it. So today in this house, whatever that thing is that you are carrying that is keeping Jesus at a distance from you, it is time to get up and walk away from it. Because the God who heals, the God who makes you whole and well, he is present in the house today. Today, right now. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that, that may be uncomfortable for you. And I was trying to figure out if I was going to do this or not. And we've never done it in the history of Fathom. So it's revolutionary for us today. I'm going to invite you forward. And I, and I want to pray for you. And, and it's not that God can't do a work in the seat that where you're at, but just like we talked about in the last series, God honors postures. 
And so some of you may not feel that you are really ready to walk away from whatever that thing is or that sickness that has been haunting you day after day. You may not feel that that could really happen today, but what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to take a posture of action. That's going to be an action of faith that says I'm going to stand up and I'm going to come forward to this altar. And so I'm going to invite you to come if you want. Whatever it is. If you want to come, you want to kneel and you just want to you just want to be with God, that's great. Won't bother you if you're on your knees. But if you would like some prayer, I would love to pray for you. And if any of our leadership in the house would like to come pray, that would be great too. Um, so if you want, as, as the band sings, I would love for you to come forward. If, it's, if today is the day for you to let some things go, to finally release the thing that you've been holding on to so tightly. And if there's literal sickness in the house, we believe that our God heals. And that he is alive and well and he is doing work in the earth. And so um, if you guys would just stand with me. I'm going to pray. And, and, if, and if you want to come forward, just go ahead and come down. Um, no pressure. But if you want to, I would love to pray for you. So let's just pray. Father, we're all here. And we're all holding on to something that, that really, it isn't helping us get closer to you. We're all holding on to some sort of junk. And it's, it's a really scary thing to, to let go and to release and to say, okay, you can kill it. I'm tired of this thing haunting me. I'm tired of this thing following me. I want you to kill it. Even if it kills me, I'd rather be in your presence than be stuck with this trash. So, Father, I thank you for giving my brothers and sisters courage in this house. And as we begin to sing your, your amazing praise, we ask that you would work in this altar and to work in the hearts and the minds of these people and that they would know without a doubt that they are sons and daughters of God, that they are most beloved, and that when you view them, you don't see their trash, but you just see your sons and daughters and you say, I am well pleased with you. Some of you in the house need to know that Jesus is well pleased with you. He doesn't tolerate you. He doesn't just deal with you. He's pleased with you. And he loves you. We thank you for that, Father. That's amazing. So we love you. In the strong name of Christ, we pray. Love you guys more than you know.